True story. Skyler was at a very busy coffee shop. He was a young seminary student, and uh, young seminary students like to go to coffee shops. And this was uh, BC. This was before COVID, right? Um, <laughs> new definitions for BC, right? So before COVID, so Skyler's in a very busy coffee shop. He's sitting at a very small table trying to get some work accomplished when a man comes in because every other table is occupied and there is a seat at Skyler's table says, may I sit down? Skyler, a bit bothered, to be honest, but in his good Christian heart says, sure. And so the guy sits down. Well, the guy immediately starts sharing with Skylar some struggles that he's walking through. Skylar, now a bit more bothered, shuts his laptop and begins to enter into the conversation. It so happens that Skylar struggled with some of the very things that this man struggled with. And so they began to talk. And in that conversation, Skylar uh, eventually uh, led him to the ways in which Jesus had helped him in those struggles. And as soon as he mentioned the name Jesus, this man's eyes got like huge. He goes, do you know something about the Bible? Skylar goes, "Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Why? And he goes, well, I I grew up in church, but I never paid attention. And then I got away from church and, but I still had my Bible. And the other day I was just in a really bad place. And I did one of those things where you get your Bible and you just open it up. And I thought I would read something. It would have some miraculous revelation and it would fix all my problems. And I opened to Psalm 18 and I read it and it's a long Psalm. And I was as confused as the day is long. Do you know anything about Psalm 18? Skylar goes, well, we could look at Psalm 18 together. And so he opened his Bible to Psalm 18 and they began to walk through Psalm 18 and he began to show him about an amazing God who indeed brings justice, which he talks about in Psalm 18, but in that justice also brings grace. In fact, Schuyler went on to say, I think the Psalm actually helps us point to Jesus. Do you know about Jesus? And the guy goes, well, I, like I said, I didn't pay much attention, but, but I'm interested in knowing. And so he began to share with him Jesus as the ultimate place of justice for our sins and grace in our forgiveness. And the guy looks at him and he goes, well, I want to believe in Jesus. And some of you are saying, like, it shouldn't be that easy, should it? I mean, Skyler in his heart was thinking, this shouldn't be that Easy. Is it, let me ask you, is it a coincidence that Skylar is sitting at a small table in a coffee shop where a guy comes in wanting to know about Psalm 18, sits with him in the midst of not even knowing about him? Coincidence? You're not sure? Afraid to answer in church, might have the wrong answer. No, it's not a coincidence. Uh, we, we call these things, uh, Divine appointments. Thank you, my wife. I was about to look at my notes because it was fleeting my brain. She always finishes my sentences, right? It's good. That, that we call these things divine appointments, right? That, that this amazing God whom we serve, right? orchestrates things way beyond what we could ever imagine so that we have opportunities to share in the good news of this gospel that we love. Some of you have had those divine Appointments. Some of you have been wonderful victims of those divine appointments. And so I would even ask you this morning to think about your own salvation. The people that God placed in your way 
the conversations that happened that we were like, how did I even get in that conversation? And the reality of what God in his mercy did with you, through you, for you in those divine appointments. This is our text this morning. One of these divine appointments, much like the story of Schuyler. So I want to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. And this morning, we finish, yes, I said finish, our series on Acts 1 through 8, a series that we started back in June and a series which we bring to a close this morning. I do trust that our journey through these chapters, through these verses, have been a part of your spiritual growth in this very interesting year. I do believe that by divine appointment, God has had us in these chapters in such a time as this. And that together we'll continue to find ways to seize the moment, to seize the day that God gives us to be his servants and ambassadors. Acts Chapter 8, these last verses in chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. This is the very word of God. Slide to the edge of your seat. This is a great story. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Philip is in Samaria amidst an amazing church plant, and things are going really well. And in the midst of that, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Condesi, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he kind of chuckled and said, How in the world am I supposed to understand this unless someone tells me about it? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And they were going along the road. They came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. May God help us in the understanding of his word. Of course, three points this morning. You ready? Three points this morning. The power of the spirit, the power of the word, and the power of the story. Power of the spirit, the power of the word, and the power of this story. Let's first look today together at the power of the spirit. 
We've talked a lot about the Holy Spirit in our uh, discussion of these first eight chapters of Acts, and rightly so, because the Spirit, quite frankly, is the main character. He's often the main focus. We, we saw him at Pentecost when he fell upon the disciples and the 120 who were gathered and they began to speak in other languages and there were fires on their heads and all kinds of miracles began to happen as the Spirit fell on them. It's through the Spirit that, that a lame man uh, begins to walk. It is through the Spirit that miracles are done, that, that demons, uh, uh, people are delivered from the, the demons that are within them. Some things that, that if we are honest, listen, don't seem like realities for us in our day. I don't know about you, but sometimes, I, and I believe all these things still happen, right? So don't, don't hear me wrong. It, it's just that in our worlds, as we begin to think about speaking in tongues, as we think about those kinds of miraculous healings, we're going, huh, that's really cool. And man, I can look at that and think about what an awesome God I have, but they don't seem close realities to me. Well, I have good news. Today, the Holy Spirit does something that we can relate to. The power of the Spirit operates in someone's life in a way that we can connect with. Take a look. Imagine Philip in this text. Imagine being part of a thriving church plant in an area that nobody gave any hope that there would ever be a gospel presence, the city of Samaria, the nation of Samaria. Right? A a, a place that was so far out that that nobody thought would ever go. And Philip goes and he begins to preach the gospel and things begin to happen. People are being saved. Miracles are being done. In fact, it is so astounding that the super apostles, Peter and John, even come to visit. And God says to Philip, well done. I want you to stay here and, 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 and really shore up the church. Is that what he says? No, he comes to Philip and he says, listen, I want you to go to the desert. Gaza, you, you know that place where nobody wants to go? That place, some of you have been to Israel and you know the area and the terrain of that desert. It's just barren. Yeah, yeah, Philip, I know things are good here, but listen, where I want you to go is the desert. Not for a vacation, hear this. Not well done, uh, go take some time in Cancun. No, no, listen, the reality is, is I'm calling you to Gaza. So Philip takes a moment. He forms a Presbyterian committee to discern whether it is indeed that it is God's voice that he has heard and maybe takes a six-month process of praying and fasting to really be sure. He wants to make sure that all of his ducks are in a row. Is that what he does? No, listen. You know what the text says? It says, he rose and went. It's just a short little sentence in there. Philip leaves Samaria, go to the desert, and Philip goes, okay. The Spirit of God, right? Through the voice of an angel. And we're not sure how that happens, but we know that it is indeed God that gives this directive. And he goes. So now Philip's in Gaza. He's in the desert going, what's next? I can almost imagine him sitting on the side of the road going, okay, God, I'm here. Like, uh, there's like nobody else. This is the desert, right? And and all of a sudden, the the Cadillac Escalades come down the road from Jerusalem to Gaza, right? 
maybe not Cadillac Escalades, but whatever a great motorcade would look like that someone important is riding with, right? Comes. And so there's, you know, the head chariot, and then there's the other chariot, and then there's the chariot, and then there's the chariot following, and there's secret service men. And, and all of this comes down, and we're told that in this caravan is an Ethiopian eunuch. Who the heck is this guy? Well, first we learn that he originates from a place in northern Africa, today Sudan, that has no understanding, appreciation, love for Jehovah God. I mean, maybe if they go back in their history books, if they're allowed, they might go back to a day of Moses, a day of that. But those are embarrassing days for this nation. No understanding, no thought of God. And yet we are told what? That this Ethiopian wanted to go to Jerusalem to what? To worship God. So, like, how does that happen? Here's your pastor saying this morning, I have no idea. Other than, what? The power of the Spirit of God. And we also know that now about a year has gone by. So this Ethiopian eunuch, we'll call him Ernie. It just goes well, right? Ernie, the Ethiopian eunuch. Ernie has been in Jerusalem for a year worshiping God. He's curious. He's intuitive. And the Spirit of God is at work in his life. And he's a eunuch. And today is a family show. So we won't go into much detail other than to say that Ernie has either made some choices or some choices have been made for him that makes life extremely lonely. He'll never marry. He'll never have children. He will spend his life in servanthood to Condesi, the queen of Ethiopia. Now, fortunate for him, he's an influential eunuch. He's in charge of the money. Big purse strings, big responsibility, an important guy, and so he gets the escalades, right? And so here he comes. Now, if I'm Philip, right? If I'm Philip and I see the caravan coming, I'm going, huh, another rich Ethiopian coming down the road. Certainly God's not going to touch this guy. So he's already got his eyes looking up the road of who's next. When, when it says what? The spirit of the Lord said to him, Spirit of the Lord, internal, external, I don't know, Spirit of the Lord speaks to him and says, go to Ernie's chariot. And immediately Philip goes, God, he's got like secret service men. I mean, and he's he's a rich, I don't have anything in common. Can I go to the next, is that what he does? No, listen, yes. He ran to the chariot. I was curious. I thought, I wonder what the Greek says for ran. Guess what it says? He ran. Yeah, that's what it is, what it says. You know, I thought maybe he cantered or I don't know what he did. No, listen, what he did is listen to the spirit of God. And he said, listen, I'm not going to walk. I'm not going to skip. I'm going to sprint because this is what God has said to do. The spirit of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord. Mm. Then there's a great conversation, which we'll talk about in a minute. There's a baptism that has a bit of a miraculous thing in its own right. And then the text says this. You ready for this? Philip is carried away by the Spirit. What does that mean? Super good question. 
I guess it's possible that Philip was somehow transported like Star Trek to Azotus by the Spirit. Some would say that that's kind of what it was, like he was there and then he wasn't there. And Ernie's going, where'd that guy go? Right? My guess, eh, maybe I don't put enough clouds in what the miraculous can do. But what I see is Philip raising Ernie out of the water. And fully expecting that God is going to say, I want you to stay with this dude, do Bible 101, 102, 103 with him, and make sure that he has everything together, right? And then I'll give you your next mission. But instead, the Spirit carries him to say, see you, Ernie, you're on your own. I'm headed north. You're headed south. We're going opposite directions. Ernie goes rejoicing, and all of a sudden, Philip finds himself in the next town to the north, which is Azotus, where he preaches the gospel, and then moves on up the coast all the way to the very most northern part of that known land called Caesarea, where in Acts 21, by the way, we find him later uh, married with four single daughters who are all prophetesses. Pretty crazy stuff, right? And by the way, as we're finishing stories, Ernie went on back to Ethiopia, and first century authors are all, are all agreed that Ernie, our Ethiopian eunuch, began a church in Ethiopia that thrived. And that the gospel went to Africa because of this moment. Because of a God that does divine appointments, that orchestrates things for his glory. And here's the point that I want us to see. I think it's Luke's point in telling the story that this is not just an acts thing, that God today is still orchestrating amazing things for the sake of his kingdom. And he's communicating those things and moving his people into places for those purposes by his spirit. And by the way, (laughs) I'm talking about you. Like, you're here today. Wherever you're going to be tomorrow, wherever you're going to be on Tuesday, that God orchestrates these things for his glory, for his kingdom. And here's the question. It's a huge question. Are we listening? Are we listening? I asked you this morning, do you want divine appointments? Now, you're all the good people that come to church on Sunday morning. You go, yes, I want divine appointments. Super. Super. But let me make sure you know what you want. Do you really want opportunities to be God's mouthpiece to others? Or are you just comfortable walking around with your own personal salvation, waiting for that day to go to heaven? Are you justifying not telling others with the thoughts of, I don't want to offend them with my religious beliefs? Do you want, do you really want divine appointments? You say this morning, yes, I want them. Well, then are you listening to the voice of God? Do you spend time with him alone that you might actually know his voice when it would speak? Do you strive to hear him at school, at work, in your neighborhood? As you listen, are you looking for the chariot? Looking for the hurting heart that God has prepared for you to love. Looking for the open mind that you might speak into it. And you say this morning, yes, I am. I would love that opportunity. So then I would ask, 
Are you going? No, listen, are you running to that place? Listen, I speak for myself so often I get stuck in the here am I part of evangelism without entering into the send me. I'm really good at the here am I. Here am I, Lord. And then he gives me 13 opportunities to which I go, "Ah, not that one, not this one, not that one. Or maybe I'm not even listening. Here am I. Are you running to the send me? Who is it in your life that, that God is opening for you to minister to? Who in your life first does not have a relationship with God? Who in your life struggles with issues of hope? Who is willing to talk openly with you about their lives? Who respects you for your morals or your church participation? These are your earnings. We need to move from fear to courage, from justifying our silence to anticipating our boldness, from not wanting divine appointments to searching for them, from not taking time with God to hearing from God. We need to move from here am I to send me. Listen, it's not just a simple call to witnessing. It's not just a simple call to what the church calls evangelism. It is about discovering afresh and anew the greatness of God. For it is God, we've already sung this morning, who is mighty to save. The power of the Spirit is in you as a believer in Jesus. And believe it or not, God has chosen you to be an influence in someone else's life for the sake of the kingdom. May we pray to have the heart of Philip who heard God and ran. Who heard God and ran. Now many of us today as we hear that, the thought of being an ambassador for the gospel scares the living bejeebers out of us, right? If we're going to be honest, like, God, I think I'm there, but man, I'm really scared. But we have questions like, what if I don't know the answers? What if I'm not smart enough? What if I'm not spiritual enough? What if I'm not this? What if I'm not that? What if I'm not tall enough, not short enough? What if I don't do this? What if I say something wrong? What if I lead somebody to hell? we, We get all of these crazy questions that start to fly. And, and it's why I love this story. It's a story that, that tells us that The Spirit of God is at work. The power of the Spirit is at work. And he's doing so through the power of the Word. Look back at our story in Acts chapter 8. Be honest, Philip is a guy with some unusual training. He's a follower of Christ. And he has some unique giftings that he was chosen as one of the seven out of thousands to be a servant of the church in Acts 6. But also see that, that it is not his gifting or his training that is the point here. God didn't come to him through the angel and say, hey, listen, I know I've put you through your ropes. You're now at the 401 classes, right? So you've got all this good stuff in you, so therefore I'm sending you. It's not because, man, I've been watching you in your quiet times, and man, you are nailing it, right? And so I'm going to send you. No, 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 no. The angel didn't say any of that. 
It wasn't based on his training. It wasn't based on his spirituality. It wasn't based upon his intellect. It wasn't based upon his knowledge. It was based upon his availability. And he then equips him with the power of the word. Philip runs to the chariot and he finds Ernie, the Ethiopian eunuch, reading what? The Bible. And listen, he's not reading some complicated verse like uh, uh, about a, a, you know, a godly warrior who has a left-handed uh, sword that when he goes to the king, he sticks it in his belly and the sword disappears, right? I, I hate for the explanation. Some of you are smiling. You know that story. It actually is in the Bible, right? Like the sword gets swallowed by his belly. Like I would imagine if he's reading the scroll, like what does this mean? <laughs> Philip's going, oh, no. No, he's not there. He's not in that story. You know where he's at? He's in Isaiah 53. Some of you super Christians know the reality of what Isaiah 53 is. I'll tell you, right? It is a prophecy about the death of Jesus. It actually is telling the people of Israel this good news that one is coming who will die for your sins. That's where Ernie is in the Bible. And he's reading. This is good news. Right? Listen, he, he didn't pick up Isaiah as a tract as he leaves Jerusalem, right? They weren't giving these things away for free. He has paid good money for this, and now he is studying it, and he's in his chariot going back to Ethiopia, and he's going, I don't get this, and all of a sudden, <laughs> what are you doing, dude? I'm reading. Do you understand it? No clue. Would you mind if I come up and introduce myself? No. And so Philip now is there and he says, what are you reading? Oh, I happen to be reading Isaiah 53. Philip goes, I know that one, right? This is good news. And then it says, listen, it says he begins to walk not only through Isaiah 53, but through the scriptures to talk about Jesus, to talk about Jesus. See, it's the power, not of Philip, but it's the power of the word that leads him to this place. It's the power of the word. It's very much like Jesus. You remember when he was walking on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection? And he's walking with these two people and they don't recognize him as the risen Jesus. And so they're talking, they're talking, they're talking. And it says at one point during that term that Jesus began to open up the story from Moses on forward, right, to the reality of his resurrection. And and, and those people, those two guys on a way to Emmaus, at the end, their eyes are open and going, oh, you're Jesus. And then Jesus is gone. It's very similar, right? So here he is. He's in the chariot. He's explaining Isaiah 53. He leads him to Jesus. And then the second miracle happens. The, the power of the word has already begun to transform Ernie's life. And now, by virtue of the explanation of Christ as the fulfillment of that verse, he says, I want to believe in Jesus. And he comes upon some water. Where are we? We're in the desert. <laughs> I love this stuff, man. So we're in the desert and there's water. So first miracle. Second miracle is that Ernie knows that he needs to be baptized. Where did he learn that? I don't know. But he says, I need to be baptized. Philip goes, well, oh, very discerning of you. That's great. Let's go baptize him. And so they go down into the water, and he sprinkles him, right? Because we're Presbyterians. 
All right, some of you got Alan, I hear you, man. He took him and he immersed him. There was that much water. It wasn't a puddle. It was a lake, right? And he immerses him and he comes back up and Ernie is a new man. Miracles. Out of the power of the Spirit, from the power of the Word. Mm. Get this, I... I say evangelism, most of you start getting the shakes. I tell you that you need a radar of how God might want to use you to share the gospel in the life of another person, and we want to crawl under a rock. And this text says we need not be so afraid. Why? Because the power of the Spirit and the power of the Word. And God is still doing this stuff. And He desires to do it through you. I hope that you see in this text that it is not about Philip. It's not about Ernie. It is all about God doing his thing to start a church in Ethiopia. Likewise, it's not about you, but it's all about God who has operated in you and through you. Ordinary people, that's us doing extraordinary things. One piece of practical advice talking about the power of the word? You, you do know, I want to make sure you know, that you, you will grow in the knowledge of the word of God and, and you will be a sharper tool in the hands of God as you know the word of God. Right? So, so this isn't a apathetic, oh good, God's just going to do it anyway. I'll go read like Grisham. You know, that, that'll be good. I, I like those murder mysteries and I, all, all this kind of stuff. I, I'll go do this. I'll do, no, 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 listen, listen. This is not an excuse not to be in the word. It, it is a deep desire, a wooing for you to come to the word. So that as God orchestrates the moment, you will have experienced the word. It, it's no mistake that in this story that the word of God is central. And as such, it should cause us to love it, to desire to know it, even as we are made available to share it. So hear me out. Who among you wouldn't love a chainsaw to cut down a big tree rather than a saw? Who of you wouldn't love to have a dishwasher after a Thanksgiving meal? Who doesn't love to have the tools that make you effective at what you love to do? Well, the Word is that tool. The power of the Word is that tool for you to be effective in helping someone see Jesus. And we don't need to memorize it. I know that's scary. As much as we need to invite it to be the center of our lives, the very thing that is changing our lives, that we might be a change agent to others. The power of the Spirit, the power of the Word, and then finally the power of this story. Some of you have asked me why we are stopping at chapter 8 in our study of Acts. Well, as much as I would love to continue, I want you to realize that we have now spent seven months in eight chapters, and there are 28 chapters in Acts. So just imagine how long that would take us. Uh, and my experience for the preacher, uh, probably sometimes for you as well, is that we get series fatigue. And so we're going we're gonna to stop. It's been the plan to stop at the end of chapter eight. We're going to go to Advent next week, and we're going to talk about the confession of our hope. Good year to think about that, right? And then I think in early part of next year, we're going to do a study on Elisha. We'll move to the Old Testament for a while and think a little bit about Elisha together. So Acts is, is, is done. Some of you are 
deeply disturbed at that. Well, keep reading. It's a good book. You can keep going. But others have asked, like, why did you stop here? Why did you schedule it out to stop with this story? Good question. I I want us to go back to our memory verse for this series. I've given you seven months to memorize this, right? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power. Listen, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Very good. We've talked a lot about the wills in that text. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses, says Jesus. Now now lay that over this story that we talk about today with Philip and Ernie. This cool story that Luke gives us as a reminder of not only uh, that verse, Acts 1.8, but evidence that, listen, God is still doing what he has promised to do. We know that Philip is a man full of the power of the Spirit. God says he will give us power, and he has. He's done that in Philip. We know in chapter 6 that he was a man full of the Holy Spirit. We know in this text that three times he's hearing, discerning the voice of the Spirit and responding. We also know that Philip is a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now, this is what's unique. Not everyone gets to be a witness in all these places, but Philip is. He starts in Jerusalem. He goes to Samaria. He witnesses to Ernie on his way to Ethiopia a people considered to be living at the end of the earth, and he concludes making his way up through all of the coastal towns, through all of, where? Judea. And my thought is that in this story, Luke is taking a pause to say, look what God is doing. See, he almost said it today. Luke's point is he's still doing this. He, he, he says to Theophilus, he says to the Gentiles who read it, he's still doing this. God is still doing this in us. The geography has changed, but the promise is not. Covenant Church, God has empowered us by his spirit to be witnesses in Sharon in the Shenango Valley and to the uttermost parts of the earth, like Sierra Leone. And guess what? He's going to do it. The question remains, will we join him? Will we join him? Ian was uh, just settling in for a long flight, five-hour flight on a plane, and he was exhausted. And uh, as he got to cruising altitude, he took his cool little, you know, U-pillow, put his head back and said, ah, rest. He closes his eyes and all of a sudden he hears, what in the world is going on? And then there's a, on his arm, so he opens his eyes and he looks at the man seated next to him who's in his face, also BC, before COVID, tapping him on the arm. And, and Ian thinks, okay, so you already have to go to the bathroom. And he begins to unbuckle his belt to get out. He goes, no, 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 no. I don't need out. He said, I was wondering. I, I'm not a religious man. That's always an interesting start, right? 
not a religious man, but I was reading in the Bible about Jesus talking to this guy called Nicodemus. <laughs> Ian goes, yeah, Nicodemus, I know him. And he says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. I don't have any clue what that means. By any chance, do you? <laughs> so for the next five hours, Ian and this man's life changed over a conversation, over what it means to be born again. People of God, are we listening for the leading of the Spirit? Are we investing in our own study of the Word so that we might seize the day when God makes it evident that He has placed us in someone's path to talk about Jesus? That He's placed Covenant Church in Sharon that they might know about Jesus? That he's placed us at 263 East State Street so that the Shenango Valley would know about Jesus. I say, yes, he has, and he is. Will we join him? Let's pray.